0: feels appropriate at this time to address the holiday that we are celebrating this weekend and those that we wish to honor. And for me, Memorial Day is one of my favorite secular holidays that we came up with. It is an appropriate one, I feel, and necessary one, I feel, as well. But I often get asked the question, what is the correct way to celebrate this holiday? Or moreover, we get inundated on social media and all the other ways that they tell you is the wrong way to celebrate Memorial Day. People want to make it well known, that is not national barbecue weekend. (laughs) Or that the proper greeting is not happy Memorial Day. Now there's so many rules about what not to do, it's hard to figure out what if we are to do. Some like to point out statistics the number, to our best estimate, of, the, of those that gave their lives so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we do. And when we look at such numbers, maybe we make a little light of our freedoms because that seems to be a low cost for the freedoms that we do enjoy. But by contrast, it is a very costly freedom. And when people ask me these questions, somehow expecting that me as a Marine Corps veteran would know how to properly answer it, I think that makes me less qualified in some ways. Because when it comes to it, I do know that this is a very costly freedom. When it comes down to those vast numbers, that's hard to contemplate. But for me 10 years ago, it came down to one. This month, 10 years ago, marks the death of Sergeant Kevin B. Balduff. He is a Marine I served with in 3rd Battalion, 9th Marines. He was a great sergeant. He was in the same platoon as me. He was in charge of the radio shop. I worked in the data shop. We both went on deployments to Iraq together. He served on a different base than me, but we deployed together. He was a great mentor and father to his men. And then after our deployment back, he transferred to a new unit, I got out. And the following year, that was in 2010, that those events happened where he moved on, I got out, the following May in Afghanistan, he was killed. I learned about it a month later and suddenly the price became so much more real, when it was someone I personally knew, when I met his wife and two kids before at different family events that our unit put on. It ended up going from a free cost that just seemed so insurmountable that we often write it off just a little bit because those number of lives compared to against the entire American population seemed so little that had to be paid for us to enjoy our freedoms. But from that moment on, I was fully aware of the full cost. That it wasn't because of, that it was not necessarily paid because of my own actions, but undeservingly someone else had to pay a very deep cost for me to have these freedoms I do now. Try not to hit the mic. (laughs) But from that day forth, many of you have seen me wear this. It's called a -A KIA MIA bracelet. Stands for killed in action, missing in action. It bears his name. Every day of my life since I heard about it, I have worn this to remind me of the heavy cost that our freedom and liberties entail to me personally and I don't and I can't live up to what that cost was but I will try I will try to enjoy the freedoms I have I will try to enjoy the liberties I have because they are so costly (laughs) so that is why tomorrow when people say that, we should, that it shouldn't be National Barbecue Day, that it should be solemn and somber, that is appropriate for part of the day. In fact, our flag, when you see it tomorrow, does a very unique thing only on that day. From about eight o'clock when flags usually are raised till noon, you will see it flying at half staff, honoring those that gave their life in service of our country. But then from noon onward, it is raised to its full height that we as a nation now give thanks for those that gave their all. So then it is appropriate for you to enjoy the freedoms you enjoy, for you to celebrate tomorrow because it was paid for you. Jesus said in John 15, 13, greater love has no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. If I am to call Sergeant Baldoff my friend, I am very much going to enjoy the freedoms that he paid on my behalf. This quote I found very telling. Give thanks and honor to those who served, fought and died so that you can enjoy privilege their efforts and their sacrifice have provided for you. When you ask me how I celebrate Memorial Day, I could point out all the traditions. My family going down to the cemetery to decorate the graves at our family cemetery, laying out flags there as well. My mom on that Sunday morning playing Mansions of the Lord on the keyboard. There's so many traditions, but the important one is I celebrate and honor those that died for the freedoms that they have granted to me, and I will enjoy them to the fullest. Amen. 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 And now that I've, I've re- successfully reduced everyone to tears, especially myself, today's message. Should be a fun one. And if you're wondering about that title, you can kind of think of it as an Old Spaghetti Western title, where instead of the good, the bad, and the ugly, we have the blind, the blind and the blind. And we're going to get into a bit of that more in detail. But as I was reading through scripture and reading through different texts, I come to read this passage. And I see that there are two miracles taking place here. And many of you are familiar with this passage and this particular event. But I first must ask you, because the world questions this a lot of times, what is a real miracle? What are the qualifiers that make an event miraculous? And if we go through scripture, and if we go by our contemporary arguments, or cases for a miracle as well. I think we see two qualifiers, or two very important ones. The first is that the impossible is made mundane. Now that requires a little bit of explanation. When you look at some of the miracles throughout scripture, they take an event that was utterly impossible, and it's not through sheer effort and a little bit of luck that the impossible occurred, but the most ordinary way possible, it came real. Moses spoke to a rock and water came forth. Elijah Elijah instructed a man to take a stick and throw into a river, and the missing ax head floated to the surface. Jesus heals in many ways that by the end result seemed the most mundane from the outside observer to what happened to produce that result. And then the second qualifier, that it was a good, with good intentions, good means, and a good outcome. No one would say that an evil event occurring is a miracle. That's evil. But it is good. And moreover, it happens in such a way, so so completely unexpected, but so ordinary, that it can only be a miracle. Now in this particular passage, we're going to see Jesus uses a prior miracle to explain a latter one. And moreover, when Pastor Tony read that passage this morning, I appreciate his insight in knowing to tell you that. Think of it as if you have never heard this before. Because in that particular part of John chapter three, to Nicodemus, when that was read to, when Jesus said that to him, those were brand new words. Those were brand new concepts. And if you were to go back earlier in that passage, Nicodemus did not understand that. The teachers of teachers was grasping at straws to try to reconcile what he was hearing to what he knew those were very difficult concepts even today they're difficult for us to understand but in this passage we're going to be looking at today Jesus uses the first miracle to explain the second and then the second to show how in real life that those words that pastor Tony read came are going to come about So, before we get into our passage once again, a little more backstory. I know I'm sorry, it takes a little bit of setup. Because I said two miracles, and many of you turn to this passage already, and you see a man born blind receives sight. And some of you already know this story and are wondering where I'm getting the second miracle from. Well, let's go through the timeline of events leading up to our particular passage. And here we have. Jesus and his disciples come across a blind man. And Jesus is asked a very appropriate question by his disciples for that day. Who sinned that this man was born blind, him or his parents? Let's see if that fixes it. Let's see. Yes, his disciples asked the question, who sinned, this man or his parents? And that was an appropriate question for his day and age for in the oral tradition they were taught that a man is in his state because of his or his family's actions whereas God would never curse a righteous man moreover God would never bless a sinner that's what they had been told their entire lives so this man who was blind Obviously, either him or his family were sinners, and as to why he's continuing to be blind, obviously he and his family are sinners. That was the logic of their day and age. So it was an accurate question for Jesus' his disciples to ask at that point. But Jesus answers that neither this man nor his family sinned for him to be born blind, but that the glory of God may be shown through him. So Jesus approaches this man and we're told in the account that he spits on the ground, forms clay and anoints the man's eyes and instructs him to go and wash his eyes and hear nearby pool. The man obeys and sight is restored to him. Moreover, this man is rejoicing. He comes back to where he was instructed by Jesus to go to the pool and telling everyone who would hear him of this miracle that had taken place. And his neighbors, upon hearing this, at first question how this happened. And when he tells them that a man named Jesus did it, they are incredulous because note, this is the Sabbath that this event occurs. So they bring him before the Pharisees to answer on this miracle. And the Pharisees at first write this off. It can't possibly be a miracle. This man wasn't born blind. So they bring in his parents. And his parents' only defense is, well, he was born blind. But we have no idea how he's seen now. His parents abandoned him. And then they question him further, demanding to know who healed him. And the man says, surely it's a prophet that healed me. But then they scoff at him, saying, it was a sinner who healed you. You are a sinner. Be gone from us, sinner. And they cast him out of the church. I'm not sure if that's me sorry about that but so they cast him out and in effect this is along the same lines of excommunicating him from the church they cast him out from jewish society more or less and now jesus comes upon this man once again and now we're going to continue from john 9 35 through 41 and here it is written Jesus heard that they cast him out. And when he found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? He ans- and Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him and heard these words, and he said, and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. So within this passage now, we have seen a second miracle. And in fact, it's almost an exact duplicate of the first miracle that Jesus had done in this chapter. Jesus heals a blind man. And I want you to pay attention to the order of events. In both cases, Jesus seeks an outcast blind man. His blindness is different this time. Before, he was physically blind. At this point in his life, now his physical sight has been restored, but he is spiritually blind. And Jesus seeks him out and asks him, in a sense, do you want to be healed? In which he asks do you believe in the Son of God now some of your translations may use the Son of Man some manuscripts contain one or the other and in John's Gospel Son of Man is oftentimes more appropriate that's what Jesus is, uses more often to identify himself but in almost every instance he uses the Son of Man he connects it with his divinity and his association with the Father so either works in this case. But Jesus seeks him out and offers the blind man what he really wants. The first time, it was sight. And this time, the blind man simply wants to worship God. He thought that by having his sight restored, that now he would be accepted no longer one of those outcast sinners that were not allowed into the temple. But as a fellow believer, but when they heard about the miracle being wrought, they first doubted its authenticity, they doubted the one who performed it, and then they called him a sinner yet again. What he had been told his entire life to seek after has now been questioned. And here comes Jesus once again, offering the blind man what he really wants. And he tells him, That is belief in the son. And when the blind man questions. On who it is that he might believe in him. He's ready. He's ready. He's right there. To accept this. Jesus reveals to him. That the son of man. The son of God. Is the one that had been speaking to him. And is speaking to him even now. And the blind man. Obeys. Where we see him in the most simple statement possible, "Lord, I believe and worships him. Jesus reveals himself to the blind man, and now we see both the blind man being healed through his obedience and, and subsequently rejoicing. I'm not sure if that's my mic or if it's something else. I mean. going to go with this one for the rest of it because this one didn't seem to have problems during the service i'm sorry about that though so we see the parallels between the first healing miracle and now the second one where at first it was his physical blindness that he sought to have healed and jesus healed him and now in much the same way almost the exact same order of events We have Jesus healing this man's spiritual blindness. And it was all through a simple expression of faith. And if you think back to John 3.16 that we had, that Pastor Tony had read to us this morning, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. There, that same Simple belief was all that was required. Not the rules that were invented by the scribes and the Pharisees, not some cost that had to be paid into the system, but simple belief. When Jesus came and sought him, the man only needed to respond with his belief and he was healed both times jesus sought him and told him how he needed what he needed to do to be healed and the man did it and once again jesus sought him out and told him what he needed to do and the man believed and it was so and now jesus uses this in a way to confirm his purpose but also it shows us an example of how those following verses in John 3 were carried out and fulfilled, and as an example of how the, the lost work. And there, now Jesus confirms his purpose in verse 39, and in which he says to them, for judgment I have come into this world. Now this, if you were to stop right there, that would ring true with many of the Pharisees. That's who they thought the Messiah was, some conquering king who was going to slay the enemies of Israel, and then reestablish God's kingdom here on earth, and they would rule over the nations with God as their king. That's what they were expecting. But much like the Spaghetti Western I referred to at the beginning, he is not their kind of Messiah. In much as the same way if this were a Spaghetti Western I will have Jesus be played by Clint Eastwood. <laughs> Just so that you can have some little old lady going off in the background upon seeing the new sheriff, preacher, law officer in charge walk away Someone discuss going, that's not the kind of sheriff or preacher or lawman I expected. For them now they're going to have a Messiah that they did not expect of a kind. And in this particular passage we see that here for judgment he comes but he is not the judge in this particular case in John 3:17 we see that in for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world in pastor tony's version it said to judge the world but here it says judge now what do we isn't there a conflict here no jesus is coming reveals the standard, that Jesus is the standard, that he is the metric, that he is the mark that we are measured against. His very being in the world shows us what we shall be judged against. He himself is not the judge. He is the standard that we are measured against. And we can see that in verse 18 of John 3. He who believes in him is not condemned but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And there we can see that also, if we go back to our passage in John 9, verse 39, if after we, as we continue, for judgment I have not come into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. By Jesus' coming into the world, the standard is revealed. That those who believe in his name are now granted sight. But then there's this latter one, that those who see are to be made blind. What does Jesus mean by this? Well, that's also explained a little bit in verse 19 of John 3. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That when the light was revealed, they fled at a a full breakneck speed the other direction. Much like Jonah, where he was told what God wanted him to do, and he chose to go to go the exact other direction. And not only the other direction, but what's the furthest known point in the earth to go to? Tarsus, I will go there, the farthest known point in the world away from the destination God wants me to go. He fled, much like the light much like the darkness flees from the light, and the light turns aside to the darkness. And now we come to others who make themselves blind. Not only do they flee from the darkness, but they, in fact, make themselves blind. And here we can see some Pharisees in verse 40 ask the question, are we blind also? In fact, the Greek almost makes it more of a double negative. Surely you do not mean that we are among the blind. Basically asking Jesus for confirmation. You couldn't possibly be talking about us. Of course we're righteous. We're rich. We live in the upper runs of society, God has surely chosen to bless us. He would not allow a false priest or false prophet to assume the positions that we are in, they would say to themselves. They're asking for, they're now demanding confirmation of their own position. Not asking, demanding, with the veiled threat behind it. But Jesus now tells them, if you were blind, you would have no sin but you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. They heard Jesus's words clearly, but they did not understand it at all. And this is often why Jesus spoke in parables. So some would understand and others would be left confused. They run and hide from the light. In fact, in another famous passage, where we're told that if our right hand causes us to sin to cut it off, if our eyes cause us to sin to pluck them out. Interesting enough, they have taken this formula to the other extreme. If my right hand causes me to realize that I am sinning, I must cut off this reminder of my sin. If my eyes cause me to see something that reminds me of my sin, I must not only pluck out my own eyes to not see it, but everyone must not see that thing that reminds them of my sin. They in fact have blinded themselves to the world around them, to Christ, to the light that he brings so that they don't have to be reminded of their sinful past. We have the physically blind that we saw early in this passage that we touched on briefly. The spiritually blind, the man who was formerly spiritually blind and physically blind, but now how blessed is that man to think that Of one that he goes from seeing nothing in his life to now one of the first things he sees is the Son of God blessing him he didn't have to see all the filth of life his eyes were filled now with some of the greatest sights ever to behold and then we have the self-made blind and we can see that also taking place in John 3 verses 20 through 21 for everyone who practices evil hates the light and does not come to it come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed but he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God they deny their own blindness in fact they don't want to be reminded of their blindness or their sin They demand that you censor your life, remove that which offends them, lest they be reminded of their own sin. And ultimately, the fault is going to rest with them for why they are blind. And when they stand before the throne of judgment, when God says, I never knew you, because they themselves made themselves blind And this is a powerful passage of scripture that we have been looking at today for we saw the miracle in the beginning and that is certainly a great miracle by anyone's standards jesus in the most mundane way as far as we from the outside observer anointing making clay and anointing someone's eyes and telling them to wash it in a pool that seems like the most boring way to heal someone's sight we have lasers to do that now that That seems cool and awesome, but clay on eyes, being washed in a pool, that's, by process, that shouldn't work. In fact, that's the least obvious way to do it. But it was a miracle in the sense that by this most mundane method, he regained his sight. And now, for his spiritual sight, for his spiritual blindness. The law had all these decrees and rules that you had to follow, and not only you had to follow, generations of your family had to follow, that the Pharisees were telling everyone that you had to jump through to no longer be spiritually blind. But then Jesus comes to him and tells him, it is belief in the Son of God that will give you spiritual sight. And that belief was all that was required and then the self made blind. Those that when they saw the light, they fled from, they didn't understand it. So they fled from it entirely and made themselves blind to the world around them so that they wouldn't have to see the light to be reminded of their own failings. We saw all that being played out in this passage and how he explains to us so clearly what Jesus said in John chapter three to Nicodemus. Now this has been revealed to you. Now this sight has been revealed to all of us, and so today, for you, if you have not made that decision for Christ, He is now calling to you. It is your choice and how you respond. If you want some long drawn out process on how to do it, I'm going to simply turn to you back to the words that that man said, "Lord, I believe." and that simple statement alone and the belief that he placed in Christ was enough that when Jesus called he answered and he was forever changed it is sim- it is that simple amen well